Good evening. We're continuing the series. Last Wednesday I wasn't here, and Baruch uh, Hashem, I had a very successful trip. I went to Europe and then to Israel and got to many new places, Baruch Hashem. You're going to be able to see these lectures on the website. The one in Europe were in English, the one in Israel were in Hebrew. Very good lectures, Bezrat Hashem. So we continue our series. Uh, last time we spoke about, uh, you know, we finished Masechet Sukkah and we started Masechet Beitzah. And uh, we asked the question last time why there is 15 Shirla Mahalot in Teilim? 15 times Shirla Mahalot. And I explained based on the Gemara that uh, the, the 15 Shirla Mahalot is what David HaMelech wrote when there was flood in Yerushalayim, when they make the foundation for Bet HaMikdash, they move a rock, all the water came out, they wrote the name of Hashem, they threw it in, it came down, it went down too much, and then every Shirla Mahalot, it came up a thousand amma until it was leveled to the right level, and that's where we finished the lecture last time, two weeks ago. Now we continue... The Gemara says, like this, Amar Rabbi Elazar, the 70 cows that we sacrifice in Chak Sukkot, why there are 70 cows? Why not 20? Why not 100? Where this number came from that we sacrifice 70 cows? One, two, three, four, every day, if you add it up, one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus up to 13, it gives 70 cows. Keneged Shivimumot, one cow for each nation. Today we have more than 70 nations in the world, more. But the truth is that they all have 70 roots. From one nation, sometimes, like the Arabs, they, they split to many different countries. In Russia, same stories. It's many different countries. But the root is one root. 70 nations all together are there. And the 70 angels, each angel is in charge of each nation. So, what is it like? Like, like? like a king that says to his servants, make me a meal, big meal. And, uh, you know, the, when he makes a lot of people, makes him a meal, it's not so important. But when he says to somebody that he likes very much, make me only a meal, you and I, then you know this person is important. Same thing, Akadosh Baruch Hu, to the nation of Israel, one cow only for the nation of Israel, 70 for the Goim, one cow only in Shmini Atzeret for the nation of Israel. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Oy laem leovde kochavim, those who worship idols, the goyim, are so foolish. They destroyed Bet HaMikdash and they don't know what they destroyed. They actually hurt themselves, not only Israel, because we were sacrificing the cows for them, they would save them from lots of tragedies. Since they destroyed Bet HaMikdash, there's nobody to be mechaper for them, for repentance. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu LeMoshe, Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, I have a special gift in my treasure, treasury, and I want to give it to the nation of Israel. What's that gift? Shabbat. Shabbat, it's an important thing for me. Go and inform them that they're about to receive a, a precious gift. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, every mitzvah Kadosh Baruch Hu gave to the nation of Israel, gave them in public, except Shabbat. Shabbat 
it was like hidden. He goes, he tells Moshe first, Moshe tells them, and then he gives it to them. It wasn't like a bombastic thing. It's a special, unique covenant between the nation of Israel and Hashem. Amarish Lakish. What's so special about Shabbat? Many things, right? But there's one thing that is special. On Shabbat, you have an extra soul coming into your body. There's an extra soul. You don't have it during the week. Neshama Yetera. You feel spirituality on Shabbat. And that's come inside Erev Shabbat. Just when we go to Shul, we say, you know, we say Mizmor Shir Yom HaShabbat, then we say Baruchu, we get this extra Neshama. That Neshama leaves us on Motzei Shabbat, and when we do Avdala, we smell the perfume, or, the, or the, the, all kinds of flowers. Why is it? Because when you smell something good, it, it comforts the soul. The soul feels better, because it's a spiritual pleasure. Uh, the soul that you have feels bad when the soul leaves you. That extra soul of Shabbat, when it leaves, the soul that, that remains is upset. When you smell, it makes the soul cheer up. Tana Mishmed Rabbi Meir. Why the Torah was given to the nation of Israel to begin with? Why not to the whole world? Why only to the nation of Israel? Because they are tough people. It's people of like fire. They're full of fire. Because the nation of Israel is people that full of fire, burning from inside. Then Hashem gave them a Torah of fire to calm them down, to show them the right way. If the Torah was not given to the nation of Israel, no nation in the world could stand in front of them. Where they, they, would be, they would be able to destroy the whole world with the fire that they have. This is what Rish Lakish said. There, there are three kinds of tough things. One is the dog among all the animals. From all the animals, dog is the one that is called Azpanim. Azpanim means it's chutzpah, more than any other animal. By the chickens is the rooster, and by the nations is the nation of Israel, which means they have chutzpah, arrogance. That's the right word. You should know that there are two million, two million animals that we know today. Two, different, two million different kinds of animals, two million. And from all the animals, which animal is the worst out of all of them? From all the animals, the worst one, many people think it's the pig. No, it's the dog. The dog is the worst animal. And from all the animals, I'm talking the not the, the impure, no, I'm talking about the tmeim, the impure animals. From the, from the tahor, you have keves, you have para, you have, a, you have a sheep, you have a cow, you have a giraffe, you have a deer. This is all kosher, bison, this is all kosher animals. But from the non-kosher animal, dogs is the worst, I'll explain. And which one is the best? The donkey. The donkey is the best. Why the donkey is the best? Because the donkey is the only animal that the Torah said that when he has a firstborn, when a, when a donkey is born from his mother for the first time, this donkey is holy. You cannot use it for anything. It it's belongs to, to the Kohen, to Bet HaMikdash. You have to redeem him. Ken, Peter Hamor. Peter, we have this mitzvah, Peter Hamor. In Eretz Israel, they do it. When the donkeys are born, no, not sacrifice. It's like, you know, like when we have a firstborn, um, a Jewish mother has a baby for the first time. Yeah. 
This baby, you have to redeem him from the coin. You have to give the coin five coins of silver. Same thing with the donkey. How do you, if you want to use the donkey for yourself, the first donkey was born, it cannot be used for every day's work. So in order for you to make him belongs to you, you have to redeem him by giving either money or another animal. So the Torah says, if you, if you want this donkey for yourself, you have to give a sheep. If you don't redeem him, you have to kill him. You cannot use him. It's holy. If he's going to go in places and people will use it, it's a problem. So that's why donkey, you see donkey is special. Also Mashiach will come on a donkey. Also Avraham Avinu with a donkey. Donkey is mentioned many times in the Torah. Uh, you know, so you see. So, yes, yeah, so when they came out from Mitzrayim, they had donkeys carrying all the gold. So there are many, many things in the Torah. The donkey, it's chomer. Chamor in Hebrew come from the word chomer, material. Sitting on a donkey is like making the, the material surrender to the spirituality. Because life, it's a, it's a fight between spirituality to materialism. If the materialism wins, you lose your purpose. You become addicted to material, to cars, to clothing, to all kinds of things, and you're far away from Hashem. But if your soul wins, then the material is not important. People with high spirituality, they don't care what kind of suit they have. They don't care what kind of car they have. They just want the car to be able to drive. That's it. If it's not so comfortable, they don't care. Uh, they don't care about all the nonsense, jewelry, and all kinds of things that people care in this world, not about food. Why? That's how you know if a person is at a very high level. If you see that he cares about this world, about the rug, and about the walls, and about the pictures, then you know he's far away from Hashem. You can see that this person is too much living in a lie. That's why there's a way to know if people are in a high level or not. How? By looking at them. How do you know? The more jewelry they have on them, especially men, then you show, it shows that they are on a very low level. The, the longer their hair is, they have ponytail or high blorit, then you know they are in a very low spirituality. Uh, everything that they do to attract attention, the more attention they're trying to attract, then you know their spirituality is in a low level. Because people who are connected, they become holy from the Torah, the last thing they care about is show off. How they think about me, how nice I look, all these things, they don't care. So this is one way. Same thing by the women. The more flashy is their clothing, full of gold, shining, silver, red lipstick, tons of makeup, big earrings, all kinds of grease on their hair, then you know they're very low level. The more classy they are, very simple, not trying to, you know, just black, sh black dress, not too much makeup, even very, very little jewelry, then you know these people in a higher level. So it's very interesting. So, so uh, the worst animal is the dog. Why the dog? The Gemara said the dog is very good for his owner. Dog is willing to risk his life to help his owner. Dogs can help blind people to, to show them the way. It can watch your home. There's a lot of good things that the dogs do. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the, the, animal, the dog as a bad animal, like a lion or a tiger or a snake. This is dangerous, bad animals. We're not talking about this. We are talking about purity. It's tameh, very, very, very high level of tum'ah. Why is it? Because the Torah said that if you redeem the value of a dog with money, or you sold it, you got the money, or anything 
in return, let's say you gave your dog to someone and he gave you something, that something, that money or that jewelry that you got for that dog or a different animal cannot be given to Bet HaMikdash. Why? Because the, the animal is so filthy that you replace it with something valuable, it's just as filthy. You cannot bring it to Bet HaMikdash. This is a pastor in the Torah that tells you about this dog. No other animal from the impure animals, the Torah wastes a verse to tell you that this animal is in a very low level. Then the Gemara said that if you raise a dog in your house, it's like raising a pig, you know? It's not good for pregnant women and many other problems. A person has to do everything he can in his life to always sit inside the place of Torah. Every open minute and hour that he has, instead of wasting it on sports and all kinds of nonsense, he has to make sure he comes right away to a place where people sit and learn Torah. Even a person that is not so talented in learning, is not a genius, it's very hard for him to remember, to understand. doesn't matter. Just sitting with place of Torah, every second you earn eternity. Sitting in places with the clowns, doing all kinds of scenes, dancing, all this nonsense that everyone is looking for, is not gaining anything for you, if any bad things. But sitting in a place, in a lecture, or in a place they learn Torah, Gemara, Halakha, every second is a big mitzvah. I know one person that... He's old, he's about 55, he's not a young guy, but he sits for years, at least 20 years by now, he sits in yeshiva, he has a little building here in Queens, he collects rent from two tenants, he lives a very simple life, he has a tiny apartment in Monsi, he sits in yeshiva all day, he doesn't learn Gemara, his brain is blocked, he's not such a smart guy, but all day he sits in Rita Ilim inside yeshiva. One time I asked him, I never saw a person comes to yeshiva and sit and read Tehillim all day. Why don't you learn something? He said, it's very hard for me to learn. I cannot focus. So what's the option that I have? To be in the streets? To make scenes? I sit here all day. I listen to some Torah here and there, and I read Tehillim. But at least I'm in a place. All his life like this, enjoy, sit and read Tehillim. You know? So, and he was already older. When I met him, I think he was 35 or 38, when I... I wasn't married. I was thinking to myself, what kind of life this person has? Besides sitting in yeshiva, reading Tehillim, when is he going to get married? In the end, I couldn't believe what I saw. He got married to a, one of the most beautiful ladies i ever seen. And not only that she was very beautiful, nice, nice looking, very impressive, very smart, very intelligent, the most modest woman you can ever find, she doesn't go to places that people won't stare at her, very modest. And all day she sits and learns Torah, mamash like a rabbi, this girl. Amazing, mamash amazing girl. And he got her. And there's no doubt that this is the reason that he got her. Why he got this girl? Only thanks to this. Why he saw, listen, to learn I can't. But to sit all day and read Tehillim inside the yeshiva, I have income. I have money coming. What else, would, what else should I do? Someone who has mercy on the people, then it's obvious that he comes from the descendants of Abraham Avinu. And someone who doesn't have any mercy on people. He sees people suffering, he sees someone doesn't have parnasa, so his friend cannot, he cannot find a job, he sits home, he doesn't care. 
he sees his, his brothers, his sisters, his cousins, whatever it is. People are suffering, people are in jail, people are in hospitals, people have surgery. Every day, there's, every hour, every minute there's a new tragedy. It doesn't bother him. Doesn't bother him. If you check his descendants, go back 200, 300, 500 years, check where he's coming from, you'll find that he's not a descendant of Abraham Avinu. Something went wrong here. Cannot be a Jew, kosher Jew from the family of Abraham Avinu, that this kind of Jew, that this kind of Jew will not have mercy on the people. Cannot be. You should know that. You know, there's something like this. Chaz shalom, something is wrong. I tell you, I give you an example. Many of us receiving by mail envelopes for tzedakah, for donations. What do we do with that? Those who have money and they're generous, they send a check. 18, 20, 50, 100, whatever they send. Most people don't even open the envelopes, put it right in the garbage. They say, ah, anyway, I'm not sending. I don't have money. What? Every envelope I get every day, four or five envelopes, I'm going to send them a check. It's not realistic. Take it as it is. You see a name of a congregation, puts it in the garbage. I once heard that it's a sin to do it. Ah, you cannot give them money. Okay, cannot give money. It's one thing. But it's a sin not to open and cry with them. If you open a letter and you hear about a widow that her husband died and she left her with 12 kids and they don't have what to eat and they freeze in the house, even if you cannot send them, let's say you really can't, you, you owe money, I mean, you yourself need help. You can't send anything, even $5 you can't send. But opening it and say as a perek teilim for her, shir ma'alot, that Hashem will send her parnasa, that's an obligation of every Jew. If you don't care, you just put all these envelopes in the garbage, this yeshiva is about to close, this yeshiva is about to close, this hospital. So many requests. If you don't participate, that's uh, it's not a good sign. A kosher Jew, he, he suffers when, when other people suffer, he suffers with them. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, there are three keys in the hand of Hashem. All the keys are in the hand of the angels. Everything in life, every angel is in charge of something. There are three keys Hashem did not give to the angels. He is running, he is managing it by himself. What are they? What are they? Deliveries, giving birth to babies. And a woman is pregnant. Pregnancy and giving birth is in the hand of Hashem. Keys of the rain and keys of the resurrection of the dead. When the time comes after Mashiach comes, the dead people will come back to life, the righteous dead people. All these three things is only in the hand of Hashem. No angels are involved. The rain, it's critical. In Israel right now, I'm just coming back from Israel. On Monday, I went to the Kotel Amaravi, to the Western Wall. I didn't know that they're going to have a big special prayer with the chief rabbis of Israel. The big rabbis came, Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, with trumpets and shofarot. Was thousands of people. The whole Kotel was packed with people. And everybody crying and praying for rain. It's already beginning of December. Usually it's rain in Israel in Sukkot. We are what, what, two months after Sukkot? Two, three months after Sukkot? Huh? Three months after Sukkot, not one rain in Israel. No rain. You know, they used to import water from Turkey. Now Turkey is our biggest enemy. Look what Turkey became. Worse than Iran almost for Israel. 
So there's no, you cannot do business with them. They made a law in Turkey that Israelis cannot buy any property in Turkey. You know, and soon they kicked out the banks, they kicked up all the investors. It's very bad what's going on right now. So, because the Torah said, The Torah said that you can never trust the Goim, never. Even United States, so far for 40 years they're good with us. You can never trust them. Tomorrow morning they can become our biggest enemy. One little incident, you know, it almost happened when they caught Pollard. 25 years they bury him in jail for minor things that he did. Every other spy that they caught over the years, maximum four or five years he sat in jail and they released him. Spies that did much bigger damages than him after five years were out. He almost did nothing. He was a spy of a friend of the United States. He was never a threat to the United States. The information he gave was already known. 25 years they bury him in jail. Amazing, amazing what's going on here. Just when I was in the hotel, they're handing up flyers for people to pray for him, the poor Jew. 25 years in jail for nothing. And believe me, this is a very cool jail. It's not a regular jail, you know. They put him in isolation over there, Hashem Irachem. Huh? For being a spy. He, giving Israel, he gave Israel supposedly information about some countries. The United States knew secrets about certain countries. So supposedly he gave it to Israel. In reality, even the Americans admit that they never made any damage. Even in a Congress, they admit. Some of them say to release him. For whatever reason, they don't release him. So speaking about rain right now, no rain is a big danger. You cannot wash your car. You cannot even take normal showers. In Israel, people are very sensitive to water. We live here. We have plenty of waters. When I opened the, wa the water... When I was talking to someone, right away three people said, no, no, close the water. Why, why, you make, why you keep the water running? It's already in the mentality of the people. They make commercials on television, save water. They make all kinds of rules. You cannot give water to your grass. I went to some places, all the grass is all yellow. Why? There's no water. Why does, what do we do when we make Shema Israel morning and evening? We don't pay attention to the words. What does the Torah say? When Hashem is upset with us, his reaction is that he stopped the rains. What, where does it say? Ve'atzar et ha'shamayim, he blocked the sky. Ve'lo matar, it's not going to be any rain. And what comes right after that, God forbid? Ve'avatem mehera me'al ha'aretz ha'tova, and you're going to be destroyed from the face of the earth. Which means, three steps. First, Hashem blocked the sky. Obviously, then there's no rain. What comes right after that? We get destroyed. That's why it's very dangerous what happened. Now, in the old days, it was more critical. Why? Because there's no rain. You cannot raise wheat, no barley, no bread. The animals are dying. There's no grass to eat. It's, it's a chain reaction. There's nothing to eat. People are dying. One or two years, there's no rain. Finished. I was driving now a whole week from one place to the other. I had many lectures there going north, going south, with air, full air conditioning in a car. Why they don't do... Why? There's no why, rain. Why they don't do Atpala like it? No, they do. They, they now finally will have something that uh, make the salty water into sweet water, but it will take two, two, two more years until it will be ready to install it in the ocean. But what do you think? It's going to make the water very expensive. If, every, if you want to get, drink water and they have to clean all the salt from the water, it's a process. It's going to cost a lot of money. Anyway, 
Where, how, do, how does the Gemara know that those three keys are in the hand of Hashem? How the Gemara knows? The answer is, When Hashem listened to the prayer of the barren women, what does it say? Open her wounds and make her have kids. About the rain, Hashem will open his, his special treasure, which is the rain, and resurrection of the dead, it says in Yechezkel, Ezekiel 38, Yechezkel Lamed, you all going to know that I am your God, when I will open your graves, and then you come out and come back to life. That day everybody will understand the hand of Hashem. See, dead bodies coming back to, bones are connected together, and people are getting up, and they see, wow, what's going on? Very interesting. And the, in Eretz Israel, they said there's one more key that it's in the hand of Hashem. What is it? The key of Parnassah, making a living. People are killing themselves. People are worried. Should I move to Israel? Should I not move? Over here I can make money. Over there there's no Parnassah. If I move uh, to a different city, maybe I'll find better Parnassah. In reality, it's always true when you change your location, your mazal change. But the truth is, above everything, is only what Hashem wants. When Hashem wants you to be profitable, you make money. He doesn't want you to make money, you don't make money. If Hashem wants you to suffer, you suffer. He doesn't want you to suffer, you get saved. There's not that much you have to do. It can be changed by praying. By praying, everything can be changed. We, we have an example from Moshe Rabbeinu. Datan and Aviram... Two wicked people rebel against Moshe with Korach. 250 rabbis, Korach, against Moshe. Moshe sends to call Datan and Aviram to make peace with them. He doesn't want them to be destroyed also. They say, no, no, we won't come. Who is Moshe? We don't come. So Moshe started to pray to Hashem. Moshe was in panic, panicking. So he prayed to Hashem, please don't accept their prayer. Don't accept their korban. In the old days, they used to sacrifice. Moshe made sacrifice, and they make their sacrifice. Now we see who Hashem is for. Hashem is to Moshe or to them? So he asked Hashem, please don't accept their sacrifice. Why do you worry so much? They are the most wicked people. They go against you after they heard you speaking to God. What are you worried about? The answer is, Moshe was afraid that from today to tomorrow, with the power of their prayer, Hashem will accept them. Why? The power of the prayer can change everything. So obviously, it can change your living, it can change everything, it can change your shiduch, it can change everything. But we're talking generally speaking now. You know, I, I once told you the story about two Jews who went to a motel, and the Russian used to make fun of the Jews. They used to take them out of the room and make them dance for them in the middle of the night. They drink vodka, they sing, and the Jew has to dance until they get tired, and they send him back to sleep. So there's two Jews sleeping in a room, so they knock on the door, he opens the door, they get him, you come, come dance for us. So he went and he started to dance for them. After, uh, let's say an hour, he sent them back to the room. An hour later, they drink again, now they call the Jew again, dance for us. So he's dancing for them. Then send them back to the room. So the guy, there's two guys in the room. So the guy told him, listen, they called you twice. Maybe they call you again. Let me change place with you. I'm going to be by the door, and you're going to sleep inside. That what happened, 
when, when they come again, they'll call me instead of you. So what happened? What happened in the end? They're, the Cossacks, they say, hey, we already called this guy twice. Why don't we go and call the other guy that sits inside the room? This guy by the door, we already called him twice. So they went and got this guy. <laughs> he went for the third time. Why? Because they changed. So you see, you cannot run away from your fortune. So to conclude what we just said, in reality, it's four keys in the hands of Hashem, not by the angels. Everything else is by the angels. Even medicine, we have Malach Raphael. If a person is sick, Hashem sends an angel to take care of him. Sicknesses come through the angels. Uh, all kinds of things in life. But this, giving birth, resurrection of the dead, rains, Reigns and making a living, these keys is 100% in the hand of Hashem. What's the difference? What's the difference if it's the angels or if it's Hashem? What's the difference? Here, an angel does what Hashem told him. He cannot do anything on his own. So what's the difference? In reality, really, there's no difference. The only difference is that it shows us the importance of that thing. That's the only difference. Same thing when Hashem came to take us out of Egypt. What do we say in the Haggadah of Pesach? I did it myself, not an angel did it. Why? To show you how much I love you. I want to take you out of Egypt. I could have done it with my angels, like the whole nature is working with angels. The angel of iron, the angel of sand, the angels of water, the angels of medicine. Every, every nation has an angel. Reality, I want to show you how important you are to me. And that's why I came myself. Now the Gemara is speaking about People who made a vow, and it was a foolish vow. Let's see what happened to them. Amar Abiyonatan, three made a foolish vow. Two of them got saved. One of them didn't. Who are they? Eliezer Evred Avraham. Eliezer, the slave of Avraham, the servant of Avraham Avinu. He, came, he said, the girl that would come and give water to my camels, she's going to be the wife of Isaac. Yitzchak, what are you talking about? What happened if it would be a very bad girl? Wicked. So what if she gave water to your camels? Is that a sign that she, she should be the wife? He made a vow. In the end, they gave him uh, Rivka. So it, it turns out very good. Hashem helped him, even though it wasn't a smart thing to do. Shaul ben Kish, King Saul. Ve'iftach agiladi. Iftach also. So Eliezer Eved Abraham already said, he said, the girl that will tell me by the well, drink, and I'll also make your camels drink. You know, you know, to make a camel drink, you know how many gallons of water you need? It's not a dog that you put a little bucket here and he drinks. For each camel, you need, you know, imagine these big garbage, garbage cans that we have, you know, with the wheels, with the lid. Each camel drink like five, six like this. You know, they, they drink, who knows how, 30, 40 gallons of water, they fill up the whole body and then go months in a desert without water. Without water. Without water. You see, the camel is a proof that God has made everything and he controls everything and he supervises everything. Why? It's, a, it's an animal that lives in a desert. How many animals do you live in a desert? Most of the animals, they live in places that there's water. But in a desert, there's no water. So when Hashem made a camel, he made sure the camel can store so much water, he can live months without water, until he gets to water again. A coincidence? Of course not. It's all planned. So anyway, so it says like this. 
maybe, maybe the girl that would give water to his, uh, to his camels would be uh, crippled or would be blind or anything like this. She's, she's not worthy for Yitzchak, but he got lucky, Rivka came. Shaul ben Kish, Shaul, the king Saul, it's in Samuel uh, 17, this is what it says. Shaul said, the one who will kill Goliath, Goliath, I will make him very rich. And my daughter will be his wife. I'm giving my daughter to the one who killed Goliath. What are you promising your daughter to someone who killed this Philistine, this big giant? Maybe it will be the worst guy in Israel just because he knows how to fight. Could be a criminal, a murderer. You give your daughter to him? He got lucky. David Amelech, King David, killed Goliath. He was the most righteous person in the world. So he, his daughter got a righteous man. But... But Iftach Agiladi, Iftach says like this, When I win the war, when I come back home, the first thing who come out of my door, out of my house, I will sacrifice him to you, God. Very foolish vow. Who came out? His daughter. Now there's an argument between the Chachamim, what did he do with his daughter? One, some says, he really killed her to keep his vow. And some says, no, he locked her in a place, isolated her for the world until she died lonely there. Either way, it's like dead, no? It's a dead sentence. The Chachamim, speaking about this Iftach, and his time, who was the chief rabbi? Pinchas. Why? He, he should have gone to the, to the Chacham and tell him, cancel my vow. Atarat nedarim. I made a stupid vow. It's a foolish vow. You know, dismiss it. You have the power. So they told him, go to the Chacham. He said, no, no, I'm the king. He should come to me. Because of ego, he didn't go to the Chacham. So the question is why the Chacham didn't put his honor down and went to him. If you see there's a foolish guy is about to kill his daughter, it's pikuach nefesh. You should go to him and cancel his vow. So even though he has to come to you, but, you know, you are chacham, you know Torah, you have to be humble, go to him. So the chachamim explain that the chacham can only cancel a vow of a person if the person accepts from him, if he admires him. If you go to a big rabbi and tell him, Rabbi, I made a stupid vow, I want you to cancel the vow only if you hold him higher than you. If you think you're better than him, he cannot untie your vow. He cannot dismiss your vow. That's, there's no point of going, because the nether stands. And this is it. You know, there's a, I saw an interesting question. One person went on Shabbat on the street, and what did he see on Shabbat? He saw a $100 bill on the floor. Now, he cannot touch money on Shabbat, because it's muktzeh. So he was thinking, listen, it's another 10, 20, 20 minutes until Shabbat is over. If I leave the $100 on the floor, somebody will pick it up. So I have an idea. Let me stand here. I put my leg on the $100 bill. 
nobody sees it. I'm going to stand here and pray a little bit to Hashem, 10-15 minutes. Soon Shabbat is over, I'll pick it up and I go. So I was standing over there, five minutes before Shabbat is over, you see a poor person runs. He comes and says, hey, what are you standing here? There was a hundred dollar bill on the floor. I saw it in the morning, now I came, it's in two minutes Shabbat will be over, I came to take it. The poor man said to him. So he said to the poor man, I'm very sorry, it's under my feet. And it's mine. So the poor man said, it's not fair, I saw it first. So I told him, don't you know the Gemara in Baba Metziah, Shnaim Ochazin Betalit? Two people hold an object. He says, I, I found it first. He says, I found it first. He says, it's mine. He says, it's mine. So the Gemara says over there, if you see an object and your friend picked it up, even though you saw it before him, it's his. Why? The one who picks it up, it's his. Even if you tell your friend, oh, there's a diamond over there, I'm on a horse, can you go get it for me? He picked it up, it's for him. Why? To see it, it's nothing. To pick it up, it's yours. Same thing, you go to a store, and two customers are waiting, and they see the last piece of bread on the shelf. And you saw it first, and the other customer didn't even pay attention to this bread. You saw it first. But the other guy went to the shelf and picked it up before you. And he said, hey, don't, didn't you see I'm coming to pick it up? He said, I'm very sorry, but I jumped and picked it up before you. It's his. Better than that, even if you go to a store and you tell the owner of the store, give me that cake over there, and you give him $5. He took the money before he, he took the cake. He put it on a register. He even gave you change. And he picked up the, bread, the, the cake and he put it on the counter and the customer stands right next to you. He picked up the bread, the cake, he took it and he gave him $2, whatever it's cost, and he said goodbye. And he said, hey, wait a minute, I already paid for it. Yes, you paid for it. He's going to give you back your money. It's not my problem. I picked it up. So remember the rule. So he said to the, to the, old, to the poor man, I'm very, I feel very bad for you, but it's mine. So he said, okay, but to make you feel good, you come tonight to my house, I live in such and such address, and I give you 100 shekel. 100 shekel is about 30% from the $100. So I give you 30%. The poor man was very happy because he knew he's right about the law. So it's like giving him 100 shekel for free. It's a lot of money for him. He showed up two hours later in his house. And he said, come, come, I'll give you 30% from this bill, come. What, did he, what in the end it was? It was a fake $100. In one side it was $100, the other side was advertisement for printing. So we, did, we do such a good job. Here, look how good we fake the $100. Everything you give us, we can print for you. 50% off, it's a coupon. It wasn't real money. Now he's asking, since he said to the poor man, I promise you, come tonight, I give you 100 shekel if he has to give it to him. Maybe, since you say the Torah say you must keep what came out of your mouth, or maybe he only said what he said, counting on the hundred dollar. Since it was a mistake, the vow that he made is dismissed. It never actually went into place. What do you think the halacha is? What do you think the law is? Does he have to give him the hundred shekel or not? The answer is no. Because if a person made a vow and it's uh, based on lack of knowledge, like the, the father-in-law of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva went away with his daughter, Rachel. 
קל בסבוע הדה דאותר ארנה מוזרחל, שפלן לאו ויד רבי עקיבא, פורד יר זולד, from a descendants of converts, complete ignorant, divorce with a kid. For, couldn't be a worse shiduch. There's no one word in Torah. What does he do? Clean horses. And she is the most beautiful, most wealthy, most desired girl in the whole nation. Father is a multi-billionaire and also a big chacham, big rav. And she went away with this ignorant and she told him, I marry you if you promise me you go right away to learn Torah. Not to be together and drink coffee every day. Not for that I need you. I want you to, to learn Torah, and that's the... 24 years later, he became a legend. He was the biggest chacham in the world. He comes with 24,000 students. And her father then made a vow after she left the house that she will never get a penny from him. Now he's about to die. He became old 24 years later. And he doesn't have who to give all this money for. So he's regretting now. I said to my daughter when I was angry that I won't give her anything. Now all my wealth, what's going to be with that? So he comes, he didn't know that it's his son-in-law. He came after 24 years, now his beard, he's older now. He saw the respect everybody gives him, so he comes to him and says, Rabbi, Rabbi, I made a vow 24 years ago that I will never give anything to my daughter, and you are the Chacham, I want you to, to cancel my vow. So he says to him, tell me, if you knew in advance that your Chacham that your son-in-law will know Torah eventually. Would you make the vow that you won't give anything to your daughter that she married him? He said, no, not to be chacham. Even if he would know a little bit, even if he would know one thing in the Torah, I already wouldn't do it. But the problem is she picked up the worst guy. He doesn't know one word in Torah. How do you expect me to allow such a thing? So he told him, relax, I'm your son-in-law. And your vow does, is dismissed because it was based on lack of knowledge. You made it thinking it's a person clean horses. For that, I'm going to give my money. If you only knew your son-in-law is going to be what I became, of course you wouldn't make that vow. So he doesn't even need to cancel the vow. The vow is dismissed from the beginning. You understand? Okay. Same thing here. But Iftach ended up losing his daughter from a stupid vow that he made. Amar Rabbi Hanina Baridi. Rabbi Hanina Baridi says, why they compare Torah to water? Everywhere you go, Torah is compared always to water. Water? Water. Water. Everybody understand water is, a, is pure, is clean, it's giving life. It's a very important liquid water, right? We have gasoline. We have oil. We have all kinds of important liquids. Water is the most important one. If you didn't have oil in the world, no energy in the world. So fine, there's no energy. It would be hard to cook. So you barbecue, you wouldn't have oil. You wouldn't have gasoline, so you wouldn't have car, you wouldn't have airplanes. Still survive. Without water, you cannot survive. So plus, you know, to, to wash yourself, to wash things, to wash, it's very important water. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, What's the same thing? The water always go from high place to down place, all the way. Oh, the water always go with gravity down. Then all the way on the top, they always will find the way down. Water never goes up like air or gas or anything else that rise. 
water always no matter where they're gonna be they will always want to go as lower as lowest as possible so someone who learns Torah automatically brings him down if he was a very proud person he makes him humbled he lowered his ego is lowering his pride and is always looking to be lower and lower and lower. Like the head of Ben Zion Abba Shaul, the biggest Chacham in the world, the biggest Kabbalist in the world. He gets on the bus like a regular person and the driver who did not recognize him because he doesn't dress like anything like a rabbi, he throw him a towel and say, do me a favor, hey, hey buddy, do me a favor, clean the mirror for me. And the most important person in the world is standing by the bus in front of 300 people there and cleaning his mirrors. For, and, and he said, make it, move it left, move it right. And everybody started to scream to the driver, what are you doing? This is Chacham Ben Zion, Abba Shaul. And then the driver realized who he is. He almost fainted. Yes, but he was very humble. Real humble. Not just like some people making a show that they're humble. As soon as you touch their ego a little bit, you know, or you disrespect them, then you see the real them. You know, they pretend they, they're humble, but when you touch their ego a little bit, you begin to see their anger is they're fuming. Why? You didn't give them the right title. Anyway, yeah. So the Gemara, the Gemara continues. The Gemara also says like this. The Gemara says like this. The daughter of the Caesar, when the Romans occupied Israel, the Caesar had a daughter. One day, the Romans, Romans. One day, the, the, the daughter walks in the street and she saw Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania. There was a big chacham, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, but he was such an ugly person that she couldn't hold her words. She came to him, she said, Rabbi, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How is it possible that such glorious wisdom was put in such an ugly tool? So he told her, let me ask you also a question. You know, they always say about the Jews, they answer on a question with a question. In this case, it's true. So he told her, your father has a lot of expensive wine, right? He's the king. She said, of course. He said, Why, where does he store his wines? She says, in barrels of uh, ceramic. Ceramic barrels. So he said to her, you, the most important people, the richest people, the king, you put the wines in the ceramic barrels like every poor person here? The slaves here put their wine in the same barrels. How is it possible that you and your father, the king, use the same barrels? Important wine in such an ugly barrel? She said, you know what? You got me. I'm going to speak to my father. She comes to her father. She says, we are the important people. We cannot store our wines in the same barrels. We have to put it in gold and silver. So he told her, oh, you know, you're very smart. Yeah, no problem. They moved all the wine to gold and silver. I don't have to tell you what happened. Two days later, it all became vinegar. All got spoiled. Then he came angry to her and said, who gave you this advice? You know, his daughter, it wasn't her idea. So she told him that Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, quickly get him here. They brought the rabbis there. So he said to her, he said to him, why did you make us lose thousands of dollars on our wine with your stupid advice? So he said, I only told your daughter what she told me. He told him the story. So the king started to smile. Now he doesn't care about the money. Ah, 
my daughter insulted that Jew, that's worth for me billions. So he said to him, you know, but after all, she has a point, no? How such wisdom like yours was put in such ugly face? So he told him, if I was handsome, I wouldn't be who I am. The only reason I'm such a chacham, because I had nothing else to do in my life, go uh, walk around with the ladies. I was so busy with the Torah, and I became who I am. So the king told him, yeah, I understand what you say, but it's, a, it's also possible to be smart and handsome at the same time. It's not an obligation to be ugly, you know. So he told him, yeah, but if I was handsome, I would be chacham, but not as much as I am right now. The only reason I became higher than uh, an average, higher than what my potential was, is only because I had no possibility to use my <laughs> beautiful face anywhere. So I was hiding all the time, learning Torah, and nothing else to do. And in, in reality, being ugly was the best thing that could happen to him. Because your beautiful face doesn't get you to heaven. Torah gets you to heaven. Torah and mitzvot gets you to heaven. Beautiful face doesn't get you to heaven. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Kola matzdik et atzmo milemata, matzdikim alav et adin milemala. A person that judge himself fairly in this world, over there the court of heaven, they adapt his judgment. So if they see that a person is honest with himself, he criticizes himself, he says, I have to improve this, I have to improve that, I penalize myself for doing this, I have to go to apologize to this person for hurting his feeling, etc., etc. Something like, somebody like this, they like him very much in a court of heaven. They say there's no point of being strict with him. Why? He's judging himself fairly. He is acknowledging his problems. He's working on his problems. The truth is growing from the ground, from the, from the land. And heaven, it's like a mirror. Whatever judgment you have here, honest, decent judgment, over there they use as a mirror, which means whatever you do here, they agree with you over there. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Every person who is happy with his suffering brings salvation to the world. The more happy you are when Hashem is strict with you, the more salvation you bring to the world, and that's besides your reward to the world to come. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, speaking about the years of Eliyahu Navi, cursed the people that there's not going to be any rain. You know, and the Gemara say the, it used to rain in Erev Shabbat. Friday nights it used to rain. When it used to rain on Friday night, it's not a sign of a curse. Why? Everyone is at home. Nobody gets wet. Today we have umbrellas, we have places to hide. But in the old days, people walked uh, months on the road, months on the fields, in the forest, in the deserts. If it rains heavily, all your clothes are ruined, everything that you have. You carry with you flowers, things. It's all get wet. It's a disaster. But if it rains on Friday nights, anyway, people are in synagogues, or in their home. Nobody walks in Shabbat. So that's a good sign. The Gemara say, day that it rains, they're only talking about Eretz Israel. When it rains in Israel, 
every coin in a packet of the people receive blessing from the rain because it's like a mikveh pure, pure water are falling on the world Shenemar, how do we know it? Deuteronomy 28 when I'm happy from you God say I'm giving the rain on the right timing and then everything is blessed and your hands are blessed Amar Rabbi Yitzchak if you want blessing in your life, make sure your, your positions, your belongings, whatever you have will be far away from the eyes of the public. For instance, don't discuss your wealth with people. Don't tell people how much money you have in your bank account. Don't tell people how much money you make in a deal. Don't, pe don't tell people how much money you make in your business. Don't tell people how, what a bargain you got on this merchandise. The more people knows, the more you lose your blessing. You want to have blessing, make sure even your merchandise is not open to the publics on the street. Unless if you don't have a choice, yes. Don't tell anyone. When you meet a girl, you go on a date besides your parents and people that have to know, like your rabbi. Don't tell anyone until it's official. When your wife is pregnant, never tell anyone until the third month is over. Why are you bringing danger to your baby? First three months, you have to wait. Three months? Three months, three full months. After that, and people would know. Boy. After that, people would not... Would... No, when a woman becomes pregnant, first three months, nobody knows she's pregnant. It takes time until people realize. Don't run to tell people. When there's no choice, after three months, everybody will see it one way or the other. They don't need you to inform them. But as long as they don't see on their own, don't run to tell them, even to your parents. Nobody. Why? Even a mother that loves her son very much can make him evil eye, not intentional. Even I usually come from bad people, stingy people, jealous people, people who cannot see somebody else enjoy. They love people to suffer. They, they have very bad eye, but it sometimes can also come from positive people. Oh. You can make Ainara to yourself. person can jinx himself by saying, oh, how great, oh, my luck with this deal. How did I find this house? Oh, the next day, the lawyer calls up, the, 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 the seller changes his mind. doesn't want to sell. Everything turns around because you open your mouth. You've got to be very careful. How do we learn it? Because the Torah said that Hashem says, I'm going to bless you in your storages. In the storages where you hide your merchandise. Not in the front. In the back. Why in the back? Bless me in the front. Bless me with all, everything that opens. No, no. Where does the Torah say? You know where the blessing is going to be? In the hidden things. Very interesting. Tana Daveri Bishmael, also supporting what we just said, something that people's eyes are, is on it all the time, lose the blessing. Someone who comes to measure his wheat. Let's say you have a storage full of wheat, and you want to know how many kilos of wheat you have. Wheat, wheat, wheat barley, oil, whatever you have, rice. She needs it. No, wheat. She needs it. What does it say? 
שתשלח ברכה במעשה ידינו. You have to say pray for Hashem that by measuring it, it doesn't lose the bracha. I'll give you an advice. People that have money in their vault, cash, lots of money, in a, in a, whatever they make, they hide inside a vault or something like this. People like this, it's better not to count. If you go every day and count, you lose the blessing. You may say, what do you mean not to count? I need to know how much money I have. Who say you have to know? Once in a while you have to know, but you have to check every day. The more you count it, the more you lose your blessing. I know a man that used to have a grocery store. He passed away about seven, eight years ago. He was in his 90s when he passed away. He had in Yerushalayim, there is a market, it's called Machane Yehuda. They sell all the vegetables over there. So he used to have a little booth there, a little store, store like the size of a bathroom here. That's how small it was. What did he used to sell? Soap, shampoo, sponges, you know, things like this. What kind of living you can make from such a store? And he had 12 kids, 12 kids. And he used to tell his wife, every money that I bring you, you put in a box and never counted. Whatever money you need for the house, you take from the box. But never count, never count. So one time I heard his son telling the story. So he asked him one time, why never to count? Say, so when you count, you limit yourself. For instance, if you have $1,000 in a box, now you know there is $1,000. When you go to sleep, Hashem will not add anything to it because you, you, you will know that it's a miracle. If you count before you go to sleep and there's $1,000 and you come in the morning and you count and now there is 1500 you know a miracle happened. Since we don't deserve such clear miracle, we're not Avraham Avinu, we're not Yosef in the Torah, we're not uh, Jacob, we are ordinary people. You don't deserve clear miracles to be done. By counting, you avoid the miracle. Hashem says, well, I cannot add. Why? You already know how much there is. But if you don't know, you put 7,000, 8,000, you don't know. Constantly Hashem can add money to there. And you will never know. So it's better not to count. Very interesting. Then, someone who already measured how many pounds of weed he has, and then started to say the prayer, it's a waste of prayer. It doesn't help anymore. Why? You already know how many pounds you have. You had to make a special blessing before, and then you get the blessing. Also, if you come to your place and you hear a gunshot, most people, when they hear a gunshot in their neighborhood, if they're driving in a car and they're on their way home, Right away, they begin to pray to God, God, help me, I hope it's not in my house, please protect my children, my wife. What are you praying for? If it's them, it's there already. It's done already. What are you praying for? It's a waste of a prayer. The prayer has to be before. I once said in one of the lectures, I don't remember if it was here or not, if a person is afraid that he has cancer or AIDS, sicknesses that there's no cure, and now he has to go and get tested, Someone like this should make all the prayers and all his donations before he goes on a test. That if he has it, Hashem can take it out of his body without anybody knows about it. It's not going to be a miracle because nobody knows he has it. Nobody knows it. So he got it, 
And tomorrow Hashem took it out. Why? He gave a lot of money for charity. He did a very big mitzvah. He, uh, he accepted to do certain things that he wasn't doing until now. When Hashem is satisfied from you, he takes away the sickness. But if he already got tested, and they already told him you have AIDS or you have cancer, now Hashem doesn't take it away anymore because everybody knows about it. Now you have to deal with that naturally. Chemo, this, that, you know. It's very difficult. Why? Hashem is hiding his miracles. When you don't deserve a clear miracle, you just won't get it. Sometimes it can be critical. One doctor asked Rabbi Zilberstein if he can lie to his patients about an exam. Let's say a person came to make an exam if he has cancer or not. When they test him, they know right away if he has or not. So he asked him, can I say to him, knowing he doesn't have it, can I say to him, Let's, you have to pray a lot this week, and we will have the results of your exam next week. Even though the doctor already knows he doesn't have it, but the doctor wants him to become religious. He wants him to make tshuva. He wants him to make tshuva, to make repentance. If he tells him you, you're healthy, he doesn't appreciate God. He goes back to his business. But if he tells him, we will know next Wednesday. Now he has seven days between life and death. So he said to him, if I would be you, I would keep Shabbat, I would do everything I can, pray, retailing, give tzedakah, do a lot of good things. Right? We will know next Wednesday if he's sick or not. Life and death. Since he started, maybe when he finds out that he's healthy, he continues. And the doctor saves his eternity. Is he allowed or not allowed? What do you think? It's a hard, qu- it's a hard question. His answer was that he's not allowed. Not allowed. But it's not so simple. Why? One person asked the Chazonish, which is a very big rav, very, very big, a giant, if he allowed to make up stories to make people religious. To come to people and tell them a story that happened. It actually, in reality, never happened. And he makes the person religious, thanks to that story. Even if that person will find out 10 years later that that story never happened in reality, but by now he's an established religious person. He learns a lot. He knows it's the truth. It was always the truth. But I got you, I tricked you to become religious. Is it allowed or not? Chazoni say yes. It's pikuach nefesh. To save the life of a person, of course you're allowed to lie to him. If, you, if a person lost all his money, and you know he has a very, very weak heart, and he just had a heart attack, his situation is critical right now. If you tell him right now that he lost all his money, he's going to die in a minute. So you have to, so, and he asks you, well, what happened to my money? I know, I know the stock market crashed. Go, go check my stock. So you tell him, you have to tell him, oh, you're a lucky man. All the stocks crashed. Your stock went up, actually. Even though you know he got wiped out. Why? You want to save his life. It's a mitzvah. It's not a lie. <laughs> what, you, want to, you want him to die? I had a case of a guy that his father got arrested and was put in jail. In the worst jail in America, they took away all his money, his house, everything that he owns. They left him with nothing. 
He's facing many years in prison. They're torturing him mentally, physically, anything you can think of. On top of everything, the week that now he's arrested, every minute he said to his sons, I'm killing myself. First opportunity, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself. The next day his mother died. Now his son asking me if he is allowed to tell his father that his mother died, that he's going to sit Shiva in a jail to add more to his depression, that for sure he's going to kill himself. What's the answer? Of course not. You never tell him. As long as he's in jail, you never tell him. It comes out. One day you tell him, you know, five years ago your mother passed away. What's the point of him knowing? Anyway, he cannot talk to her right now. He's in jail. He cannot talk on the phone. If he was calling her every day, no, it's a different story. You know, there was a story with Rabbi Akiva Iger. Rabbi Akiva Iger and the Khatam Sofer was in the same generation. So the daughter of Rabbi Akiva Iger married the Khatam Sofer. It's two biggest rabbis in Hungary. And then she passed away. So the Khatam Sofer married another girl. And he never told Rabbi Akiva Iger that his daughter died. Never told him. In the meantime, a few months later, he got married again. One time, the Rabbi Akiva Iger wanted to come to visit his daughter in the house. So he said to his new wife, pretend that you're his daughter. And he won't, say, he, won't, he won't see that you're not his daughter. Call him Abba, call him dead. So she told him, what do you mean? Well, he won't know that I'm not his daughter? He said, no, he never looks at the ladies even to his own daughters. Since they were little babies, he, I promise you, he never looked at his daughter. He won't know. Pretend you are his daughter. All night he was there, and he didn't realize it's not his daughter. Uh, Why? It was a holy person. He watched his I'm eyes. You and I cannot do it. But if you know who I'm talking about, this is a person who knew the whole Torah by heart, the whole Talmud by heart. All he did in his life was learning Torah, and he made sure never even wants to look at the image of a woman. Never to think about a woman, because it takes away all the holiness. You understand? Does it really does? Really? Yeah, of course. You look at an not modest woman, you lose all your holiness. You learn Torah all day, you're full of energy and holiness. One image, you lost everything. Same thing cursing. Dirty mouth, you lose all your holiness. You can learn Torah 70 years, Chazal say, 70 years, you got to the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. You say one curse, you lost all your holiness. You didn't lose your mitzvot. What you learn, you learn. It's yours. You, you earn for every letter that you learn. But the holiness, you lost right away. If you had Ruach HaKodesh, one curse, you lost it. Throwing something, getting angry, you lost your Ruach HaKodesh. Even then. You understand? What if someone wins by accident and the girl did? You lose your holiness? He lose what? If, he, if you look by accident, the girl's like, I don't know anyone who looks by accident. I always buy accident for everything. You know? <laughs> if, if it, if it, first second, you don't get punished. That's the halacha. What if I can get my eyes open? First second, you don't get punished. For the second sec, from the second second, you get punished for the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and also for the first. So I can look for one second. I give, I, give you an, I give you an example. I give you an example. If a person had a bad idea, he has an idea to make a scene. 
In the end, he didn't do it. Hashem doesn't punish him for the bad thought. But if he has it again, he gets punished for the second and the first time also. First time, Hashem doesn't punish you for bad thinking. He wanted to kill someone. You planned, you prepared a gun, you went there, everything. In the end, you say, okay, I won't do it. Whatever, the cop came by, the guy took the wrong train. I don't know, something went wrong. You were about to kill him. It's an attempt to murder someone. You didn't do it. Then Hashem is not holding you guilty of anything, first time. Next time when you went to kill him and you did not succeed, you already judged for the first time as well. That's why we say, third time. third time is Kalvachomer. It's needless to say. If you get punished for the second time, third, fourth, it's only get worse. Okay, before we finish, five more minutes. And the Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, why Hashem stops the rain? That's what happened in Israel now. Three months, not one drop of rain. Why? Why? What's the reason why God stopped the rain? Now remember, every time the Torah speaks about rain, it's only about Israel, the Holy Land. Everywhere else in the world you have rain based on nature. Clouds, pressure, rain, nature. Eretz Israel, nature doesn't exist. Only when Hashem decides to have rain, the rain comes. He decides to stop the rain, there's no rain. Only, uh, everything the Torah speaks about rain, it's only in Eretz Israel. Well, here in New York, you see every four, four or five days, you have un- unlimited amount of water. Same thing you go in, in South America, in Europe, rain, every... I went to Belgium, I was in Belgium four days, two days, it didn't stop raining. You come here, as soon as I landed here yesterday, rain yesterday, rain today, it's raining all over the world. Here it's a different story. Also, here it's raining all year round. Most of the world it rains all year round. Eretz Israel, there's only in the winter and only when Hashem wants. So I give, here, let's see why. One reason, people who announce that they're going to give donation to a holy cause and in the end they do not give. They receive the respect, the honor, and in the end they did not give. Or they buy aliyot in a shul and don't pay. You know, not only that they have a vow here that they did not fulfill, they prevent the shul from making money because if they wouldn't buy it, somebody else would buy it and pay. So not only you didn't give, you make them lose. It's a double sin, double sin. So that's one reason. Second thing, second thing is, second reason, it's like this. The Gemara now speaking about Maaser. You have to give 10%. You have 100 tons of wheat this year. 10, 10% of it you have to give to charity, to Bet HaMikdash. Same thing with the animals. Every 10th animal who is born has to go Maaser. Maaser Ksafim, money, 10% of your income. We have to give today, even in our time and make sure to give it to good causes, not to stupid causes. You have to think, what's the most productive thing to the nation of God? What's the most important thing? Learning Torah. But in this generation, there's something that is even more urgent. It's taking all the secular Jews and teaching them Torah to become religious. 
because right now they are dead spiritually for eternity. If you don't save them now, that's it. They dead permanently, forever and ever. So this is an urgent thing, more than anything else, to save souls. Someone who saved one soul, it's kind of like he saved the whole world. And the reward of that is the biggest. So if you participate on saving souls, that's the, most, the best investment to do. If a person doesn't give 10%, that's caused the rain to stop. This is the only mitzvah, the only commandment that Hashem allowed the people to test Him. No other mitzvah you're allowed to test God when you're going to get rewarded for. You have to sit patiently until it will come, the reward. When the maaser, you're allowed to test God and say, God, you promise that everyone who gives 10% from his income become wealthy. I'm counting, I'm, I'm watching you. I want to see when I become wealthy. It's not a sin to do it. Everything else is not allowed. Here, the Torah allows you. Where does it say it? The Torah says, Don't test God. Whatever you get, accept. Whatever you don't get, accept also. Do not test God. Some people say, You know when I'm going to be righteous? When I get married. You know when I'm going to get righteous? When, I, when my father will be healthy. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't go according to your request. But over here... The Torah says, Hashem said to us, bring your 10% into the treasure, into my treasure, into my house, which means Bet HaMikdash, the holy temple. And I allow you to test me. If I'm not going to open you the treasure of heaven and give you plenty until you would say enough, you will be flooded with blessing by doing this. No, I allow you to test me. Bechanuni, Mifchan in Hebrew, it's a test. Bochen means testing. Bechanuni means test me. God said, test me. Until your lips will be tired of saying enough. Enough. Did you ever hear about a person who say, God, enough, enough, don't give me too much money. I can't handle it. Too much. I heard about one person like this. I heard about one person who went to Rabbi Pinto and said, Rabbi, Hashem gives me so much money, I don't know what to do with that. It's too much, enough. I don't want all this money, enough. One person, the person who was waiting online, he is broke completely. So when the other person came out, he told him, listen, the leftover that you don't know, you don't want, here, here is my address, I'm broke. I have no money for anything. That's how he met him over there. You know, you understand? No, if it's true or not, I wasn't there, I don't know. Then the Torah says, three good parnasim went to the nation of Israel. What is a parnas? Someone who takes care of the public. Either teaching them, or feeding them, or give them money, charity. He's in charge of a co community. Who are they? Moshe, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And three great gifts was given through them to the nation of Israel. What are they? The well, the clouds, and the man, the bread. The well came thanks to Miriam. The clouds thanks to Aaron. The bread that fell from heaven thanks to Moshe. When Miriam passed away, the well gone. And right after that, it said there was no water to the nation. Right after her death, the water from that well stopped. Then, 
When Aaron died, the clouds that were protecting them from the sun and cleaned their clothes and all that miracles disappeared after Aaron's death. And that brought the war against Arad, against Canaan. Arad was the king of Canaan, you know. And uh, he heard that Aaron died and the clouds disappeared. And he said, now it's the right time to attack Israel. God is not with them anymore. Because the clouds, the miracle of the clouds disappeared, that means God angry. And that's the war started. And the nation of Israel saw that Aaron passed away. The Gemara say, what does it mean, Vairu? Al-Tomar Vairu, don't say they saw, say the Vairau. It's the same spelling. Vairau means got scared. And when Moshe passed away, when Moshe passed away, then the, the, the bread, the miracle of the bread, that was, you know, already stopped. The Gemara continued to ask all kinds of questions, and in the end, in the end, uh, we are now, uh, without realizing, we went from, from Masechet Beitzah to Masechet Ta'anit. Uh, time is running out, so next week, Be'ezrat Hashem, I'm going to speak. Uh, I know many of you didn't know if I'm going to come here today or not, even though I announced two weeks ago, and maybe because of Hanukkah. But next Wednesday, Be'ezrat Hashem, I'm going to be here, make sure to tell everyone. Uh, next week I'm going to speak about the creation of the world, about the oceans, about all the connections of the lakes and the rivers to the ocean, and heaven, I'm going to speak about heaven, I'm going to speak about the nations of Esav and the nations of Ishmael in relation to the nation of Israel, uh, we're going to speak about uh, some of the sins that we do, how do we get rid of them, we're going to speak about uh, the relationship between the nation of Israel to the angels in heaven. We're going to speak about the story of, uh, of uh, Lulianus and Papus. That's very interesting, uh, how they got executed by, the, by uh, the Babylonians. Very interesting things next week, Bezrat Hashem. 8.30 sharp. I was here 8.24 today. 8.30 sharp. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.